It is, uh, it is good to be, um, to be back with you in the pulpit for a little bit of relief. Um, yes, this sermon is sponsored by Voltaren. There we go. <laughs> Isn't it amazing to be back in Advent? Or Isn't it amazing? Like, um, I feel like somewhere in my head the year is up to about May. And yet all of a sudden here it is ending. It just flies by. The time flies by with all the busyness. And it calls us to account. It reminds us of the of actually prioritising things. Relationship. People. Uh, the, the prayer time was so valuable this morning. It brought us right into the room that we all carry. And we need to attend. Life is a journey. It's not a destination. There is a destination. But this profoundly important. Uh, the quality of relationship. Smelling the roses. Enjoying the sun. Those are precious blessings that the Lord has given. Washed over with some kind of modernist focus on doing, doing, doing. Being is a profoundly... So let us open in a word of prayer. And uh, I want a couple of... Lord, we thank you so much for time together and the opportunity to open the Bible, this ancient story. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts and enliven our minds and uh, speak to us and help us be encouraged, minded that you're on the move. In Jesus' name I pray and we pray. Amen. C.S. Lewis once said that hope was the continual looking forward to the eternal world. I don't know if you've ever read Viktor Frankl's um, Search for Man's Search for Meaning. Extraordinary story, a book. It's an easy read. It's only 50 pages, but um, it, it's a hard read because of the ground that he covers. Because, you see, Frankl is reflecting on his years of imprisonment, the, the camps of Auschwitz and Dachau, where he was transported and often stripped naked and whipped publicly, humiliated. His mother and his father and his wife died in the camps or were sent. His daily experience was one of cold and fear, starvation, pain, lice, dehumanisation and terror. And yet he reflects on all of that and discusses it and observes that he was able to survive because he never lost hope. And the hope mightn't have been in this world. Often it was in the eternal world. And he realised that his hope in God and his hope of a better eternal was something that because other people can do everything to and they can't take your hope. And he observed that it was the prisoners that lost hope were the ones, and often it would happen quite quickly. Uh, they were just all of a sudden and within a couple of... He wrote that uh, when a prisoner lost hope, she or he lost their spirit. Really so we enter this season of Advent, hope, marked by the birth of a Christ child, new beginnings, a new journey, a new start. Just as this year comes and we say, where is it gone? God is in the business of reminding us that we have a, we have a new hope. God is always bringing us new hope. Just when we think, gee, we, 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 there's so much I still wanted to get done in 2018 and, and we need to scramble. God is saying, relax on that journey that I am doing. So thank you for your actions, thank you for your thank you for your, thank you for your, because I am bringing about a new thing. And in the book of Genesis, I went, I picked this story quite deliberately, uh, because I, I don't think, I don't think we in churches of Christ go enough into the Old Testament. We have such a heritage of being New Testament. We sometimes just overlook the fact that the New Testament is built on the Old Testament. And in very many senses, it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But it's not much use if you don't know the Old Testament because you don't know what it's built on. It's like a house that's built on concrete but to the foundations. And in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 to 11 is the first calling. 
God calling the creation into We have that primeval account. And then here in this passage that Amy read for us, we have this shift from the very end, chapter 11, into the start of chapter 12. We have the second course, which is about God calling an aged couple who then were not Abraham and Sarah. They were still Abram and Sarai. And it's about God calling them to become the biggest of an alternate community because, you see, the world, the first creation, had gone pear Babel, Noah, the flood, sin, this whole story of the fall. And God was in the habit, as he still is with us today, of needing to recreate and bring hope and a new start because that is the bin. It's not just a story about the beginning of Israel. It's about the reforming and the creation, the transformation of a new people into a new nation people that can show and bring hope to the nation. And Abraham, Abram and Sarai's journey is about promise and faith. You see, the promise is God's power to create a future that's better, sharply discontinued, and faith is our response to that. So the promise is already there. I don't have to make you any promises. God has made the promise, and faith is yours. And I reckon the best way to describe it is to describe gardeners here. Anyone love gardening? couple of I, I just whether it's flowers or vegetables I just love it because you see when you get a vegetable garden it's just incredible you start with nothing could be an old dusty patch at the back of the yard could be just a little pot plant in the in the balcony but you dig up the soil and then you add maybe some manure and you mix it in and you let it settle down and then you you list tomatoes Carrots, you just plant, radishes are great. If you're a hopeless vegetable grower and you want to start, I advise radishes. You can't go wrong and they taste brilliant. Great in soup. And then you add water and you do nothing. You just sit back and all of a sudden these vegetables pop up. So here's the question. Do you have the power to make vegetables grow? No. Do you, does it matter? If you understand the biological and photosynthetic processes involved for this to occur, no, doesn't matter. All that matters is you, in faith, act on the promise. The promise is if you plant seeds in that ground, they will grow and turn it. I guess you have to trust the manufacturer that they put the right seeds in the right packet. But other than that, you just have to trust the promise that the real manufacturer, our Lord, has created carrot seeds and tomato seeds with the right DNA and the right ability to grow. And you trust in that promise and you put it in the ground and you add water and all of a sudden you have tomatoes, which in my house have grown about two feet this week. With this sun and this rain, they're going crazy. It's promise and faith. The promise is that if we do certain things, vegetables will is us. And Abram and Sarai's story really is about that. And I'd like to use really quick principles that I think we could give you hope to say that there is far more for Northern Church. And I'll tell you when you know that there is no more to do. This area of Preston and its surrounds is all no more problems, no more need, no more relationships that are uh, under stress, no more domestic violence, no more unemployment, no more injustice. When that is done, the kingdom will be reigning. But until that time, because God has a vision of hope and renewal and advent locates us there but as a community and the first so so it's an incredible story because it starts in Ur of the Chaldeans and this that might come up doesn't look like it is uh is it going to you're playing around um 
if you know the story of the Middle East, there's a fertile, fertile crescent in Babylon, and that's where they start, down in near Babylon, a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, with his father Terah. And it's interesting in this passage because it says the brother Haran died. And then they go on this journey, basically heading northeast along, uh, northwest along the Euphrates River, and they settle right up in the north in a place called Haran. Now, isn't that Terah's son Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans? And now they're camping, building a house, living in a place called Haran. I can't find any commentaries that say this, so this is the end. But I reckon they named that place where they settled after their dead brother. That makes a whole lot of sense. He didn't come with them, so they've called the brother whom they loved and who they're missing. And they settle there. And, and then ultimately God calls leave that and go on a journey. We'll come to that. But I want to draw some lessons out of this passage. And the first lesson for us as a community is that we on the shoulders of those who came. How old is this, this um, northern? But how, how are we over 100 years old? So imagine it's 1918, 100 years ago. Have you got any idea of what life will be like now in two? It's not an 18. World War One is finished. You've got oh, 100 years ago. There is no possible way. I can imagine that you're sitting there with phone devices that mean that you can go on a thing called the internet and look up anything you want or find the football results instantly. I mean, I can remember as a kid having to wait for the Herald Sun to get the, the Herald to get delivered and the little red bit with the football results. And if you were lucky, you got a later edition with half time or three quarter time. And then you'd have to wait till the news at night or the radio to. It's all instant now. Just, and you can watch it on your phone. Or you can pick up your phone and Skype your brother in Scotland. It's extraordinary. 1918, they had no clue about that. They had no understanding that they would be actually able to take someone's heart and transplant it into someone else to save their life. Well, I... I, And so take that position. A hundred years ago, the founders of the churches that became Northern Church had no clue that they were going to merge and they were going to become this exciting and get involved in the community and be stronger together. No clue, a hundred years. So we can't imagine what it's going to be like in a hundred years to come either, can we? 2,118, at least Donald Trump won't be president. I cannot imagine the world in 2,118, and nor could our forebears have. But I do know that what we have today is built on the legacy of And some of you know them, you can give thanks to God for them. And you know all of their personalities and the way they were and their stubbornness or their whatever it was. They're completely human, but we give thanks for those who gave us what we And so too are we in hope building something for those who were to come who we don't even know. I was driving down uh, down High Street here in the church, and every time I come here, there's like another couple of apartments, like the whole neighborhood. I can't not see Young families and young being a part of this build relationships with Dave and the team and connect and get involved in the ministry and join the community. I can't not see it when I drive down that. It's hard to imagine the future of this church. But what we do know is that those who come and those who participate will then be building. And so Abram and Sarai, we're in this little named settlement called Haran, named and built on the shoulders of the Abram's brother who had died. But the interesting thing is they did not stop there. Another lesson. God's plans are often unknown. You see, they'd already done as big a journey in their whole life to go from Ur of the Chaldeans, northwest up the Euphrates River, Father Terra, that 
I mean, in this world, no one went beyond the village in their life, 10 miles. And they've already gone across nations and people groups and, and settled in a new thing by the leading of God. That's enough. But just because they'd settled down there and married and presumably built houses and importantly, vegetable gardens, God then said to Abram and Sarai, now I want you to leave your country, your people and your father's house and go to the land that I... Just as everything was becoming familiar. I mean, it's a meaningful place. It's named after their brother. That's that's really sacred. And God is sacred. I want you to... There is no resting. Is there? There is, there is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. It's not just about the destination. It's about the daily journey. Do you ever look at young families on long-haul flights? That is one of life's great torture. To look at a young couple on a flight with a, two or three young kids, including a baby. Oh, my goodness. You just pray that you're nowhere near them in the cabin. Oh, my goodness. When they have a couple of long-haul flights across to other continents and you've got this little infant who doesn't understand the reason for the trip, doesn't like the air pressure of the cabin and what it's... doesn't like the restraint of the... doesn't like the food, doesn't like the lack of ability to wander around and explore things, doesn't like the fact that the other passengers don't think they're... and lets the whole cabin know. Ever been in that circumstance? It's dreadful. It's dreadful. Well, that's just a long-haul flight for 24 hours. Imagine this journey, going all the way south to where the land of the Canaanites was. My goodness, incredible, incredible journey where they're called to go to this unfamiliar place, a land already inhabited by different unknown, which leads us to another lesson, that we are called to be a blessing. Where the people of God are, they are there. It's the case in Northern. You are here to be to the area, and along with other Christians in the area, you are to work unitedly for the prosperity, the safety, the justice, the health, the well-being of God's King. When it is done, Abram and Sarah were given a promise that wherever they went, so went the. Wherever you, go, so goes. The, you are a light, and the fact that you express interest or prayer or hope or counsel or wisdom or an invitation to come to this community, or whatever it is that you take, just care. It's the light of Christ, where often no one else is doing that. The political dynamics of our world at the moment are all about opposites and polarity and building walls. Our job's to smash walls. Book of Ephesians, chapter 2, is all about the wall that was broken. We shine, we bring hope. That's the story. Incredible. And what did they participate in? Paul said to the Romans, not, don't build a wall. Don't go around and tell them they're wrong. Don't take stands on various things that just exclude people from coming close to me. This is what Paul said. This is a response. Paul said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans twelve fourteen. Simon Carey Holt, friend of mine, the minister at Collins Street Baptist Church, wrote a beautiful little book called God. It's about exegeting the neighbourhood and understanding living in the neighbourhood. He says this, I have to believe that my patch, my neighbourhood, I have to believe that my patch is special and that I am called to be a... I love the story of Gordon Sterling, whom our college is named after. Some of you might have met GR. Uh, he died when he was about 97. A beautiful man, a loved man, a, a wise man, a statesman, a church planner, a youth director, vice college, vice principal of our college, uh, loved by many and distrusted and disliked by no one. 
just five days before he passed away, he he'd been living with one of his daughters and son. His health got to a state. So he moved in and his health is failing. He gets into his room and it's all set up. And then he moves out, opens the front door and puts a chair in the hallway and sits there and starts getting to a blessing right there in your patch, even if it's in a being a blessing. And this is a story of God calling Abram around the journey. If he goes to these places, like he goes to the great tree of Morak as Shechem in chapter 12, verse 6, or the hills east of Bethel and west of Ar. He goes to these places and he builds these altars and makes an altar and wherever he goes, it's a theological journey of worshipping God. Wherever we go, it's a theological journey of worshipping God. Which opens lesson four. God's people are meant to be people of the future. We believe that God is present and active by his spirit and he's always seeking to... Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar and just one of my great heroes. He says this, God's resolve is to form a new community wrought only by miracle and reliant on our faith response is our faith response is our ability, our capacity to embrace that announced future with such that the present that the present can be relinquished this is a story and the place of safety being relinquished it's easy for us to hold on to things and get used to things and and get into habits and and god is the kind of god things and break things i'm a creature of comfort so god gave me children so i've got to confess there's one spot in our house that i really it's on the couch and i really it's just comfortable it's got a table there where i can put my and it's right in front of the tv and i sit there and i'm comfortable my kids take that spot every day they have no respect for me is it just when we get comfortable new life comes along and breaks up the comfort and says, let's do something different. Let's go somewhere else. Let's stir it up. That's actually often the work of God. In that case, in that, which leads me to lesson five, two, to cup three to go. I'm trying to fly through it. Is the promise of God overcome? So barrenness can be a couple who, and my wife and I went through that for eight years. Barrenness can also be a that doesn't know its future or a nation that is stalled and is bankrupt morally working. Barrenness can be all sorts of things. Ultimately, it's the condition of hopeless humanity. And it's the marvel of Christianity that barrenness is the area of... Barrenness is the way of... It's a comprehensive metaphor of hopelessness where there is no foreseeable future and no human power to... And I often observe as I go around churches that sometimes what will happen? What are the signs? I actually have the firm conviction that... It's actually when the church gets to that point of worrying about where people, where is the next, and knowing that what we do is not enough, realizing that we're back, that is actually the fertile place. It's actually faith to trust God for what God is going to do. Our task to be available and, and open to do not become, be open to the next generation coming and taking your spot. Occasionally I'd like my spot, I'm just so thrilled with Broke barrenness is, after all, reappears in the biblical story with Rebecca, with Rachel, with Hannah, with Israel itself, which leads to lesson six. The promise is for the next generations. See, Abram and Sarah, with this incredible promise, could have just stopped being double dinkies, double income, no kids, had a great life, packed up, it's all over. Talking about barrenness, and this is a 75-year-old couple 
who were called to leave an unknown place and go else. And by the time Sarai's in her 90s, God's talking about. I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet, the promises in this story are not just for this couple. The promises in this story are promises for the generation. And the story actually would have stopped right there. They go from Ur of the Chaldeans up to Haran, down to the Canaanite area, and the reason why it came is God broke into and created everything about this who they hardly, but they got everything for that to happen. And the last lesson is if we're willing to receive the promise and act on it by faith, the change that God will bring forth within us will be so profound that it will make us into a new people. Did you get that? The changes that God will bring about will be so profound that it will make us in. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Saul became external names were changed that it happened within all of these people because he's in the business. And so in verse Abraham, Abram, I was in Fiji recently. I was finished with this story. Uh, two weeks ago at a conference of practical theologians uh, looking at the environment, climate change, global warming, uh, eco-theology, understanding that. And I was particularly interested. I did a paper there, but I was actually there. stories in the papers from Pacific as they were a brilliant time. Very last slide. Um, the conference started with this tremendous worship time, and I've never had one quite like it, where about three or four nuns from Samoa and Tonga came up and they did, and they sat down and they had banana leaves and they showed us how to make a mat, how to weave a mat. And they had green ones and then dried out ones and, and then they went through and they, they used these knives and they, they cut them up and they talked about how the process of weaving. And the process of weaving is a communal activity and it's particularly the women. And they sit down and they weave together and they talk. They tell stories and they build relationships, sing and they laugh and they cry. And as the community is built, they strip the leaves down and there's this incredibly complex way of just taking banana leaves out of banana leaves. They weave this beautiful mat together. It takes time and it all has to be developed. But there's no more beautiful for our hope and future going forward that we sit and we take time and we bring our skills and we talk and we laugh and we joke and we cry and we pray and we dream but we weave a beautiful mat and do you know what the mats are for the mats go on the ground as places of and people are invited in through our weaving together of our stories and activity our prayer all of the things and our hope a beautiful mat as northern Church of Christ, Northern Community Church of Christ. We build together this mat that is invitation where people, amen, Lord, the faith islands. Thank you for the story of this. Got up and left their place of comfort and followed you. Thank you, this church, in its years to come under the leadership of David and, the, and leading an unknown, people yet unmet, that you would help us as a people really hold lightly, honouring those who have come, but holding lightly to some, all God's, 